Tommy II. And I'm Mark DeCour. And you're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast, brought to you one more time by Bulwark, episode number 72. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. How's your pulse feeling this week, Mark? <laughs> My pulse has been running way too high this week. It's uh, just been a short week because of holiday week, and it's been busy. Um, you've been busy as well, haven't you? I, I have. I have. We did the training up in Dallas last week, and then we acquired a new client that we'll hear more about in the future that I'm very excited to work with, and more and more training and more and more great things going on in my business. And it's interesting because you saw this coming at the end of the, at the beginning of the year, you saw a trend happening around digital marketing in the industry. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, it's actually fascinating. I had a, uh, a lunch today with an executive over at Sitco and uh, we were talking about this exact thing because he's in charge of their uh, uh, marketing, their downstream products. And it's, um, it's literally at the beginning, but everybody in this industry is talking about it, right? And some companies out there are a little bit ahead. Some companies are further ahead, but this industry as a whole are behind times. But they're, it's almost like they're waking up from a deep sleep. It's like, oh, the social thing, right? <laughs> it's, it's actually kind of important. We better figure out how to do this. Social, SEO. Wow. Yeah, we can, build an, we can build an audience and we can have fans instead of just detractors. And what I really like to call it is, I don't know if I've ever talked to you about this, Mark, the digital land grab. Yeah, you're right. It's the same way as when um, they open up the West to the settlers or when, uh, you know, um, the price is $100 a barrel and people are grabbing leases everywhere. It's how quickly are these companies that are waking up to this opportunity going to grab market share by using social media? Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, what's cool is being in it right when it's getting started, when it's in its infancy, when you see major companies taking baby steps. <laughs> you baby, <know>? yeah. <laughs> Whereas you and I gave up the baby steps a long time ago. Yeah, well, and myself, I've been dreaming of this for four years and just knowing that the adoption curve was coming. And here we are, very, like you said, the infancy. But let's get into our stories because we've got plenty of stuff to talk about. We're going to kick things off in Hong Kong and Nigeria. So Hong Kong oil firm set to establish Nigeria's second largest refinery. Yeah, so this is a great story. Um, and it's, um, it's a, a company called Blooming Faith Petroleum Limited. Um, and they see a big market play. And that market play is, well, Nigeria has a bunch of people. They have a bunch of crude oil, natural gas, but they don't have any fuel for their country. They're running out of fuel because they can't refine it. They can't find enough to meet their own needs. So they've jumped in and they're going to put up the capital and the engineering expertise and they're going to build a refinery in Nigeria to capitalize on the Nigerian feedstock. So not important anything, but the crude natural gas that's there. And their market is Nigeria. So they're not complete on the global market. They're just going to sell their fuels and their refined products in Nigeria. So this is a slam bang dunk. Um, Nigeria is in the right place politically. And from a corruption point of view, they got good leadership over there. They're getting rid of corruption. Um, the, the market uh, potential for somebody doing like this is enormous. Imagine, you know, they're going to step in, James, to, and you and I were just talking market share earlier. They're going to step into a market where they have a chance to capture, what, 60, 70, 80%? of the fuel that uh, market in Nigeria. Yeah. I mean, how, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a great thing. And then think about the Nigerian people. They're going to benefit from this, right? No more gas shortages, no more can't find fuel to run your electrical generators. Um, fuel prices will go down. The cost of transportation will go down, which then will decrease the cost of goods in Nigeria. Just it's going to be good for the people. And so, um, you know, I, this is, it's, this is a good project. It's going to be a long-term project because you can't stand up a refinery in a weekend. 
Um, but it's 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 got a good solid uh, financial and business backer behind it. They brokered a very fair deal with the Nigerian government. Um, so I'm looking forward to this, and I'm looking forward to the prosperity this brings to the Nigerian people. So it says that they are Nigerian government to build and operate a 200,000 barrel per day capacity refinery, and you said it takes a while to stand one of these up. What does that time frame look like? Uh, it that's going to depend on their project scope and their 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 timelines. Um, and what happens typically in a refinery project is you do it in stages, right? So you bring one unit up, so then you can start making money. So then you don't have to um, the cost uh, of borrowing the money isn't so bad because you don't need to borrow money because you're making money. You stand up another unit, another unit, another unit. So from from com- from breaking soil to completion of the entire refinery is probably a ten year project. But from breaking soil to first units coming online, it's, that could easily be done in a year or so. That's kind of like talking about first oil when you're going upstream. Yes, same, same type of thing, right? You can uh, spud a well and, and do your exploratory well and see if the, that um, formation is productive, right? So you have your first oil, but it may be years before you actually punch the 10 or 20 or 30 uh, wells that you need and have all the trees in place and all the uh, risers to, to offload that stuff. So yeah, from first oil to where you go into full production could be you know, 10 or 15 years sometimes. It's great news because they, it says here they have almost 200 million people that are going to benefit from this within Nigeria. And then you can only imagine the scope once they are 10 years down the road and able to start exporting. Yeah, well, so, and then, but think about it from growing a country, right? So in order to raise the standard of living, you need abundant, cheap energy. I don't care where that energy comes from. Um, now Nigeria is going to have more abundant, cheaper energy for its people, which then means that um, uh, education is going to improve, uh, medical care is going to improve, the standard of living is going to improve, which then causes other markets to open up inside of Nigeria, which then causes other companies to want to come invest. So you, you get this like cycle of good stuff going on just by being able to provide abundant, cheap energy to a country. That's in the right place um, on the uh, maturity curve to take advantage of it. Now, what do we know about the investors from Hong Kong? Solid, rock solid, um, um, you know, um, uh, used to doing large infrastructure projects around the world. Um, They stay as far away from um, corruption as they can. If the projects don't make fiscal sense, they don't do it. Um, So, you know, this is the, I don't know if you could find a better investment partner for this project. I'm sure there are better, but this is a really good investment partner, if, if not one of the best for something like this. Now, for anybody that, that doesn't know, we have a lot of younger, young professionals and so forth that listen to the show that might associate Hong Kong with China. And these are two different things that we're talking about, because that can be a, a hesit- or not a hesitation, but a, an immediate sort of knee-jerk reaction, like, oh, China's taking over everything, but Hong Kong's a separate government. Yeah, and it depends on who you ask. If you ask the Hong Kong people, they'll tell you that definition. And if you ask the Chinese, they go, "Well, we're just loaning the island to <laughs> Hong Kong." And and you know that's a, a subject for another podcast. But that Chinese expansion and and um, you know basically using eminent domain for areas of that part of the world that normally were not theirs is going to cause issues pretty soon. And it's probably going to cause issues with our country. Um, we we're not going to let them just start taking stuff that's not theirs. Right, right. All right. Well, we won't veer too far down that path because we got to head over to Libya, where Libya oil deal doesn't mean it's ready to pump more oil. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you don't know, Libya is war torn. It's it's um, it's, um, you know, politically, it's it's a mess. You have ISIS in there. Um, um, you know, the, the they talk about here about the, the city of Tripoli, which has uh, been memorialized in the Marine Corps. Him. Um, it's, it's a mess. 
And one of the things they need is they need to be able to start exporting oil in order to make money so they can start feeding their people, so they can get their government organized, so they can get rid of ISIS. And in order to do that, um, they need all these different political factions in Libya to come together um, because one political faction is really, I'm not going to laugh because it's not funny, but one political faction controls the area where the oil is produced. Another political faction controls the pipelines. Yeah, they got a really great map right here on that too. Yeah, another political faction um, controls the refineries and then another political faction controls the export terminals. So all these political factions, which don't like each other in varying degrees, have to come in agreement for the benefit of the of the company. Um, country. Country, I'm sorry, yeah. By the um, way, for the Americans, Libya's in North Africa, for the Americans yeah. listening. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's, you know, when people have in the last couple of years been doing their predictions of what the of what the oil and gas industry is going to do and what the price of crudes could be, blah, blah, blah. And they always talk about this Libyan production coming to line. And when I looked at it a couple of years ago, it's like it doesn't matter. They can't get it to market. They physically can't get it to market. So um, there's a, a, a note in here when you get kind of toward the end. And it's like even if all of the political factions um, come together and they um, appoint one to actually control this, it would be years where they start getting their, their crew to market. So, uh, you know, this is a mess. This is almost the opposite story of, of what's happened in Nigeria. Here's a place where politics and war um, have destroyed the prosperity this company could be enjoying because of its rich uh, uh, natural resources. So, um, you know, once again, we'll keep an eye on this. The, 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 Libya, the Libya oil will eventually get to market, but it's not going to be dumped in the market like in a huge matter. It's going it's to be slowly trickled as they get politics squared away as they get pipelines online, you know, they'll go from, you know, 30,000 barrels of barrels to maybe 35 to 40 to 45. And, you know, they have the capacity if, uh, if they, if they, everything would get in line to do seven to 800,000 barrels a day, but they, they're, it's gonna be years if ever they get there. Well, just to put it in concrete terms, before we move on, one glance at the map shows how the division have divisions have choked off 85% of the country's pre-war oil output of 1.6 million barrels a day. Yeah, and, and so this is a desert country with not a lot of natural resources, um, and it's oil was their, or is their lifeblood. It's where their, their, pro, their uh, economy comes from. And so the, you know, it's, just, it's just really bad for the Libyan people. Um, hopefully they get this straightened up. Yeah, hopefully they do. But in the meantime, all of the, it's going to flood the market, just like we were talking about with Iran, right? Well, see, that's there's another place where it's they're having trouble getting it to market. The oil is in the ground, um, but you know we talked about a previous show where where they can't even offload it on, on tankers. There's tankers parked, you know, trying to get that oil. And once again, it's the it's it's very similar to this where where the infrastructure has been destroyed by war, and there's enough um, there's there's not a unified government in place. And plus, in Iran's case, they can't control their own borders, and so it's um once again it's gonna be years before that. Their production is able to come to the market in a meaningful way. All of this for me is a, is a great reason for free enterprise and not having national oil companies or, you know, having people own minerals and having entrepreneurs be able to go out there and exploit those minerals. Because I sent you a text, I won't mention the company, but pretty large company from around the globe that it represents a whole nation. And they put up over the weekend, we're sorry, our credit card <laughs> services are down. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, that that was um, that's that's shocking, right? That that it could even happen, much less they would post it on their company Facebook page. And I understand their intent, um, but 
you know, it's. Um, I said to you, I said, could you imagine Shell putting out, "We're sorry, our credit card, com- our credit card processing system is down." Yeah, it wouldn't happen. It, it if if a bad guy was able to hack in part of Shell's system, I happen to know for a fact that they would sandbox that off, and they have backup systems they'd bring online in microseconds. There would be no interruption of service to the customers. Um, it's put, because Shell's put the money and thought into that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Free enterprise, free enterprise. Because, yeah, you're right, because they have to operate in a free enterprise environment. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. So, all right, moving on to our, our final international article from Tatneft, which is east east block of the for, former uh, Ro, uh, Roman <laughs> Russian Soviet Union, an American oil company, which is five, ten, five to ten times smaller than Tatneft, is more expensive. Yeah, because it's a Russian oil company. I, this is kind of common sense, right? Um, they're, 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 they're devalued because of all the stuff that's going on in Russia, both from the sanctions and um, from the rate of inflation and everything else. But what's real interesting about, if you read through this, um, they, they talk about, um, the, the president of uh, Tartanistan talks about um, some things that I, I really almost want to pick up the phone and, talk, and call him. So uh, one of the things he's talking about is, you know, we, we need to have other sources of energy, um, things such as fuel cells. Now, a fuel cell basically takes elements that have the right valence electrons, brings them together, captures those stray electrons, which turns it into electricity. And, and there's the most classic one is they, they use, I think it's hydrogen and oxygen. They bring it into the fuel cell as a gas. It produces electricity and the waste from the fuel cell is drinking water. <laughs> so if you think about that, that's really cool, right? But there's a bunch of barriers to entry. Fuel cells are very expensive to produce. It's hard to produce hydrogen uh, in quantities that are cost effective. Um, and so w- when you're looking at an area of the world that really needs to develop its uh, oil and gas infrastructure, pr- preferably gas, and get away from coal, which is what they're using now, I'm not quite sure if you would be to invest your research and development dollars in fuel cells at this point. I mean, you, you have basic things you need to stand up you need you know get your gas production up you need to uh, put in uh, lng facilities you need to put in the infrastructure to, sh- to have that lngs throughout your country um so uh, you know I, I this looks like a bit of a political play um, by the president and if you scroll through the article and if you go down to the very bottom you look at that boardroom they're meeting in and just look at it look look, look at the money that's invested in that boardroom. yeah i see it yeah that tells you a lot um, that that tells you that there's politics involved, and politics in in Russia is different than politics here in the U. Well, you know, I say that <laughs> this, this year. This <laughs> let's, year. <laughs> let's steer clear of that one, Mark. You almost yeah. stepped on a landmine there. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, anybody listening to future, I'm actually talking about 2016, not 2015 or 2017. But, but anyway, so no. there's a there's a political slant <laughs> in here, and so it's gonna be interesting to see what happens. I'm I'm really glad that you zeroed in on that battery life because that was that was really the thing I wanted to get your thoughts on. And you know, we've talked about going to other countries, Germany, um, Kazakhstan. Why why not why not head out there? Well, you know, it's interesting. In fact, it's funny you and I never talk about this off the mic. I actually have a contact that's a Scotsman that's been doing oil and gas business in Russia for like 15 years, and he he gave us an open invitation to come anytime. We just have to find somebody to sponsor and to pay for it. Um, but I would love to make a trip to Russia. I've I've never been. Um, it's um, you know I'd love to go to see Saint Petersburg. Um, the the Russian people, regardless of what's going on between our two countries politically, like people from the U.S. So I, I would yeah. If there's somebody out there in, in in Russia that would like to have us come do a podcast live from your Russian company or, or event or whatever, let us know. We'd love to do that. Except Edward Snowden. Except him. 
we don't we don't we don't want to we don't want to go there oh man bomb bombed on that one with you mark let's yeah, move on let's move on the ask <laughs> goodness the alaska gas pipeline obsession yeah this is a really really good article so uh, if you're a listener and you never go read any of the articles in the show notes, if you have some time, you ought to go read this because this this shows you how a well-meaning politician who doesn't know the oil and gas industry is trying to help and he can actually throw a wrench in the whole works. So a, a long time ago, about 40 years ago, um, when we uh, built the Alaskan pipeline, one of the promises that the industry made to the state was that we're also going to do the same thing with gas. We'll build a huge pipeline where we can take all this Alaskan gas, natural gas, and ship it to the lower 48 and make money. Well, people kind of forgot about it and didn't worry about it because they were making so much money from oil at that time. Well, that's changed. Um, Alaska's revenue uh, comes almost exclusively from tariffs and taxes on oil and gas, and that has dried up tremendously for them. They're running a huge deficit. um, And so what the politicians are doing in Alaska, particularly the governor, Bill Walker, He's saying, hey, you need to go out and build this pipeline you promised us 40 years ago because you'll increase the tax money that we make so that we can actually run our state's budget and people can have jobs and everything, which on the surface sounds good, right? You said you could do it. You never did it. It would help us. We're in trouble right now. We need the money. What they don't understand is, number one, it's not economically viable anymore. Gas is so cheap because of the science of fracking in the United States that nobody would buy their gas. It would be cost prohibitive even if they built the pipeline. The other thing is, these are conventional reservoirs. So a conventional reservoir, as you go through maturity level, they start losing pressure, which means you have to spend more energy to get that oil. He does a really good job of of breaking down how how that whole process works too. If you if you never really got into that, yeah, I mean that's what I'm saying. You really need to read this article. So one of the ways you can increase that pressure is you can pump water in the ground. That's why it's so cheap in the Middle East. They basically pump a gallon of seawater. In the ground, and a gallon of oil comes out, and seawater is pretty much free. Um, but in Alaska's case, it's not that um, easy for a bunch of reasons. One of which is it's not necessarily environmentally responsible. Um, so what they figured out is they could take this natural gas, which they couldn't sell, which is which is um, there, and use that to inject in the ground, which is already there. So it's environmentally very responsible. You're basically injecting natural gas in a, a reservoir that has natural gas in it, and it keeps the pressure in the reservoir so that you can keep production as that field matures. Well, the Alaskan governor put his foot down and said that if they don't uh, build this pipeline, that they're going to shut down all of the oil and gas production in Alaska to punish the, the, the key players out there with the, the BPs and the Exxons and the Chevrons out there and the Conicos. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, if they shut that oil field down, Alaska's oil is not that cheap to produce anyway. Those um, operators are just going to walk away um, and there'll be legal challenges to it. And who's going to get hurt the worst? This could be the people in Alaska. All of a sudden, you have no revenue coming in. There's going to be no jobs in oil and gas. So this is this is a perfect example of a politician who's well-meaning, who doesn't really understand what's going on, and can really throw a huge wrench into the the um, economy of Alaska. Yeah, and it talks about um, Dan Seamount, a geologist and commissioner. <clears throat> excuse me, with the Alaska Oil and Gas Conservation Commission, it scared the hell out of him. Yeah, because he knows. Out. I mean, he knows what's going to happen, and it's um. I sure hope they get this stuff straight. Um, you know, and, and I don't know where the governor is as far as an electoral cycle, but I sure hope it's not an electoral season for them because then they can make this a political thing and it's just, it's just going to be horrible for the people of Alaska. So we'll keep an eye on this one. This one's important. This one's important. And shout out to Craig Medred for putting together a great article. 
because it, it's a WordPress blog and it showed up in my newsfeed and I, I couldn't be more thankful for it. Yeah, you know, James, we need to reach out to him and tell him thank you. This is probably one of the most factual, non-political, non um, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, non-biased. I mean, and it, and it's very well written. It's easy to read. And we need to reach out to him and say thank you because we read so much junk. It's nice. To, <laughs> it's, it's nice to find something that's very well done. That's funny because we haven't talked about this off the bike, but that's exactly how I felt while I was reading it. All right, moving over to the Dallas News. Nothing against the Dallas News. Um, Dallas Pipeline dealmaker Kelsey Warren's legacy could be the could be the thirty three billion dollar bet that went bad. Yeah, we've talked about this before. That was the his proposed takeover of uh, uh, Williams Company. That that just the deal just fell apart for a billion reasons. Uh, one of which is the low crude price that's going on right now. One of which is the way the deal was structured. Uh, basically, it was very slanted um, toward um, um, Kelsey Warren's company, not toward um, um, William Brothers. It wasn't really a fair deal. There was a lot of um, money built in to protect Warren personally, and it just it just was not a good deal, especially in this low crude price market. So what happens is the deal fell apart, and and if you know the backstory, Warren wanted the deal to fall apart. He 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 was looking for a way to get out of it, and so um, why why why? Because he knew it was a bad deal. It was a good deal when oil was hundred dollars a barrel. He knew it was a bad deal in this low crude price environment. So, um, um, so if he's getting if he's getting what he wanted, then then his legacy is pretty much exactly what he 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 set out to do. In, you know, transition. He had to pivot, obviously. Yeah. So what happens is this tax compl- complication got uncovered, and that was uh, end up going to court, and that opened up the way for Warren to get out of this deal. It was his way out. But what what he didn't expect is that because this went to court, it uncovered the way he was doing business. Uh, the fact that um, um, he was guaranteed personally more than 200, a mere, 200 million a year in payments at the, expense of, at, the, yeah, at the expense of the Williams shareholders, right? So because all that became public, now other companies that might have done business with him, it's like, dude, I'm not doing business with you. You don't do business fairly. So, um, I, you know, he didn't expect that to become uncovered, but it did because he was trying to get out and it went to court. So, um, you know, this is just a bit of a mess for everybody. I actually think for the uh, shareholders at Williams, it's, I not think I know for the shareholder at Williams, it's good this deal fell apart. Um, they'll find other ways to, um, to boost their, their uh, stockholder price, um, even if that means that they, um, you know, have to um, cut dividends. Or um, you know, find another another possible buyer. So it's 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 gonna be good for them. It's not really that good for uh, Kelsey. Not really that good. What what are some leadership takeaways that you you think about when you think about this whole story? Uh, honestly, James, it's stuff you and I talk about all the time about doing business. It's the best way to do business now is just total transparency. Be fair. Be open. Don't try to hide stuff from people. Um, if you can't do good business together, then you don't want to do good business together. Don't try to make stuff happened that where it doesn't need to happen. If uh, Kelsey would have came to Williams and been totally transparent, it would have worked out a totally different deal, which probably would have still went through, would have, which would have benefited everybody. And his reputation would have taken a big uh, check mark on it because he did something so cool, so good and fair. Yeah, yeah. And we, we would be talking about a whole different story right now. Yeah. And yeah, so thank you for that. All right. Will Royal Dutch Shell PLC ADR Saudi Aramco breakup Face a delay? Yeah, probably. I mean, it's it's it, it's a big joint venture with a lot of assets here in the U.S. 
And now they're breaking up, which means there's a lot of legalese and negotiations that I have to go through. They put a timeline together. Uh, I don't know who put the timeline together. I don't, I don't know. My guess is they put together a hit team composed of from uh, March to October. Do I have that right? Yeah. Yeah. But I'm trying to figure out who put the, the team together. It, was it a shell team? Was Saudi Aramco team? My guess is they put a hit team of a mix of people in there. Knowing shell, the shell people would have built a bunch of contingency time in this. So they could have hit their, their timelines. Um, the Saudi Aramco people would have wanted to do the opposite. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who put that team together, who put that timeline together, but they're going to face, uh, not, not to say struggles. They're going to have things pop up. They're going to have to deal with, and it may uh, take them longer um, to, to get this thing done, but it, it's going to happen. It makes sense for both companies. Both companies know it makes sense. Um, it's just a matter of actually, you know, dotting the I's and crossing the T's and getting it done. What are a couple of those things that are going to be popping up? In, in what way? In, in, in terms of slowing it down. Oh, so um, one of the things is um, uh, Shell wants a $2 billion payment <laughs> at the same time that Saudi Aramco is hurting like it's never hurt before. Um, you know, they're running a deficit over there and it's like having to write a check for $2 billion. Yeah, maybe we can't do that. <laughs> right. So, so, you know, there might be some negotiations where it's, it's, um, there's milestone payments or whatever. And that's of course going to, um, extend the timelines. Um, it's, but it's also happening in a time where Saudi, uh, Saudi Arabia is talking about selling us, I'm not selling, but going public with a percentage of Saudi Aramco. Right. So, and they're doing that because they need the money. Um, so, you know, anytime you're doing business with a company that needs the money, that sometimes can speed things up. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see where this thing goes. It, it, it's going to happen. It's not going to not happen. It's going to happen. Just will it happen quickly or slowly? I, I don't know yet. I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Shell and Saudi Aramco joined hands together in 1988. I was eight years old back then. What was going on in the oil field that made Shell and Saudi Aramco join hands back then? We had just come out of one of the worst downturns in oil and gas history, which is that downturn around 82, 83. 84, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so they realized there was strength in doing joint ventures. So uh, Saudi Aramco had no refineries. Shell had a bunch of refineries. Shell was struggling to get their hands on cheap crude oil. Saudi Aramco had a bunch of cheap crude oil. So see how that works, how that just made perfect sense for them to do some joint ventures? Definitely. Yeah. 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 And so that's what was going on then. Yeah. And, and, and it made sense. And I actually, I actually know a lot of those. That's the whole Motiva, all the Motiva refineries in Louisiana. I, I, I know those guys. They're good people. Um, so, you know, that, that conditions have changed. The market has changed. It makes sense for them to split this joint venture up and it's going to happen. Got it. All right. Um, I'm very curious to hear your contrarian views on the contrarian Robert uh, <laughs> Boss, Boss Lego um, writing for Seeking Alpha. How natural gas liquids add to petroleum supplies? Yeah, no, so this is a good article. He's he's almost absolutely right. Whoa, <laughs> whoa. This, yeah. this is unprecedented, Mark. Yeah, it's, um, so you, it, it's not just dry gas or liquid crude oil. There's stuff in between. And so some of the stuff that's in between, you have things called natural gas liquids. And that's um, compounds that while they're in the reservoir are a gas. But once you bring them up to the surface, at the surface temperature and pressure, they turn into a liquid. You'll hear sometimes hear that called natural gasoline because you actually can take those natural gas liquids, dump it in a, a gasoline combustion engine. It'll actually run, even though it's not gasoline because it's, it's very close chemically to it. So he goes to that. He goes through about um, all the petrochemicals, the, all the ethylene crackers, all the stuff we talked to. And in his, in his um, what he's trying to show is that um, 
the market tracks crude production, right? But there's other parts that get added to that that are integral to petroleum supply. And, he, and he's absolutely right, right? And there's also a thing called refinery process gains, which is like magic. You bring in 30 gallons of raw feedstock in a refinery, you get 35 gallons of products out the back end. Magic. Magic. Yeah. Um, and, and so that has to be figured into. Now, the, the one little piece that I have an issue with, and, and, and somebody at his level should, should know this and should have talked about it. I don't know if he didn't know this or just chose not to talk about, but he talks about ethanol, right? Fuel ethanol. And he, and he talks about how um, Henry Ford um, wanted this to be the fuel of the Model T because it makes sense. Um, and that, you know, ethanol needs to be added in uh, to the, when you're looking at fuel supplies, because right now in the U.S., it could, it's about 10% of the fuel supply for, for gasoline. What he missed is it's not a market-driven thing. It's the government mandates called the Renewable Fuel Standards that says that, we, that, that Chevron has to buy ethanol and mix it 10% to 9% of its gasoline. And what's so wrong about that is talking about free market, that's making Chevron buy a competitor's product that is subsidized by the U.S. taxpayers. So, James, it'd be like the government telling you, you got to find another digital marketing company. Your tax dollars goes to pay the payroll, that digital marketing company, but you have to buy 10% of their products to give to your customers. No, thank you. I mean, that's, yeah, that, where does that make sense anywhere? And then the other thing, ethanol is actually not good for internal combustion engines. It's horrible. You can't run it in a pipeline because it wants to absorb water to cause corrosion. So I say you should not add, when you're looking at, at uh, crude stocks, you should not add ethanol because it's artificially in the market. If you remove those the laws and the subsidies, it would disappear. Uh, I'll tell you an interesting story about that. If you can picture a map of the U.S., all of the E85 vehicles, and that's vehicles that can run a higher percentage of ethanol, are predominantly on the east and west coast. The only E85 gas stations in the entire country are in the middle of the country, around Iowa, because that's where they produce corn, which is where you get ethanol. So think about how disconnected it is. The people on the east and west coast think that by buying an E85 vehicle, they can improve the environment, but they can't go fill it up with E85 fuel because there is none. It's all in the middle of the country, which is subsidized by a dollar a gallon by the U.S. government. And so if you're a corn farmer and you can make you know, 17, 18 cents a bushel for your corn selling as feed or for food, and then the government gives you an extra dollar, so now you make a dollar 17, turn it into ethanol, what would you do? I could turn it into ethanol, you know? So you're, that, you're hurting my feelings right now, Mark. <laughs> you're hurting my why? feelings because it's just so absurd. And I don't want to soapbox at it too much, but yeah, gosh. That, so anyway, he, he missed that part, but everything else in here, he's spot on. But and everything like said, else, though. Yeah, I, I don't know if he, if he knew it and just decided not to talk about it or if he just didn't know it. But everything else in here is really good. If you, if you want to understand the whole um, um, how, you know, hydrocarbons there's different types and ethanols and napa and light oil and propane and all that stuff read this definitely all right moving over and rounding the corner here halliburton company williams company inc a tale of broken marriages we already covered that pretty much let's just no th no this is actually halliburton and williams well yeah so the halliburton baker hughes merger was shot down because it was just too much work by the companies to try to get it pushed through a, a department of justice and then um the uh, uh, Williams merger, we just talked about that. That came apart too. So this is an article on um, some mergers and acquisitions and what's going on in the industry. I, honestly, James, it's not very well written. Um, it's they, they talk about things like the Shell BG merger, which is going through. Um, but, you know, it's this is old news to anybody who listens to our podcast. All right. Well, that's too bad because I really love the name of their website. <laughs> <laughs> it's business, et cetera. 
<laughs> B-I-D-ness. All right. So moving on to our last um, real story. Everyone declared a winner in ethane cracker war. <laughs> yeah. So it's really, really good for everybody. It's going to be good for the companies that are in, in, investing this money to build the, et the ethylene crackers and the uh, infrastructure that's going to be needed. It's going to be good for the employees that, that do the construction and then the long-term jobs created by these plants. And it's bringing prosperity in parts of the country that normally don't um, benefit from oil and gas, like um, Ohio. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they put an ethylene cracker up there, Pennsylvania. Now, I will say this much. Um, um, Mr. Crancer, who's, who's, um, who they're talking about in this article, uh, made, made a statement. He basically says, if you unify Pennsylvania, you better watch out, he said, presumably speaking to Texas. <laughs> uh-oh, uh-oh. We're, we're going to put them in our dust. So, Mr. Crancer, in all due respect, bring it on, brother. You, know, you, you, you got years before you can match the state of Texas. But you know what? If you catch up with us, that's great. Uh, if you pass us up, that's even better because it's just better for the, for the U.S. people and for everybody involved. And it would, it would also be uh, more competition because we already took it from them. Years ago, <laughs> and and uh, and and James, you know the reason that we do that is not that we have more resources than anybody else. It's our political and business environment is very conductive conducive. for the oil and gas. Yeah, conducive for the oil and gas industry. And so, by having the right policies in place, um, we um, Texas as a state benefits from the oil and gas industry. And just in case anybody out there is saying, "Yeah, but you destroy the environment," no, we don't. We're the number one producer of wind energy in the world. <laughs> I mean, in the U.S., um, you know, emissions go down every year in Texas. Uh, we have some of the cleanest air, some of the best water. So you can, you can, you can have it all. You just have to have the right laws and business um, leadership in place to make it happen. Man, you're killing it this week. Mark LaCour, 2016. All right, um, let's move over. That was our weekly onion right there. Um, no, actually, I've got two. Dad's eyes well up at sight of perfectly packed cooler. I don't know if you can relate to that, Mark, but um, also shout out to Theo from MapR for sharing over on Facebook. Report U.S. still leads world with high density of Kev with highest density of Kevin's and bombing with Mark. But between you and us, between you and us, we will forget about Mark. Um, but we need you back now, Mark, because we have a winner with our newest awesome sponsor that we talked about last week. We kind of did a little fancy production there. Yeah, I actually like what you did. I thought that was really cool. Oh, thanks, man. Let's talk about Bulwark. Yeah, yeah so uh, got a great relationship with those guys. I love them to death. Uh, Bulwark is the world's number one brand of, of FR clothing, of frame-resistant clothing. Um, Bulwark has over 45 years of frontline FR experience. I, I mean, uh, 45 years. That's, that's incredible. And then uh, because they're so large, they have the largest selection of fabric styles, colors, everything. And they can fulfill... 99% of orders within 48 hours. That means if your crew needs something, they get it. So uh, if, if, you, if you're in the field and you have a need for FR clothing, um, if, you have, uh, if your company has a need for FR clothing, you, you know Bulwark, you've heard of them, um, make sure you stay on top and look at what they're doing. They're constantly coming out with new stuff. Like I said, great group of people. Um, and they're doing something really cool. They are giving away to our listeners. Um, what are they giving away, James? They're giving away a Bulwark long sleeve FR two-tone base layer. So if you want one of these two-tone base layers, you can't, well, I guess maybe you could go buy it somewhere. But anyway, this is just for our audience. <laughs> um, so the way you get one of these is you go enter, go, go to the website. James will give you the, the URL of, you enter, put your information in there and we pull one winner a week, um, just one. Um, and so if, if you want one of these things, they're great. James and I both have one. Um, it's, it's very comfortable. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's actually good looking. 
So, you know, take two minutes, go to, the, go to the link that James gives you, sign up, and if you're lucky, we'll pull your name and we'll announce your, uh, your, uh, your uh, name on, on the air. Just to recap as well, in terms of sponsorships, we are very, very stringent about who we will partner with. And Bulwark is a company that, that has a lot of experience and you've seen them execute in person for, for some time, right, Mark? Yeah, so Bulwark's actually a past client of mine. Um, and that doesn't have much to do with the fact they're a sponsor other than the fact that I formed a relationship with them and they're a good company. They're good people. Um, they're headquartered right there in uh, uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Um, so it's a beautiful part. I've spent a good bit of time with there. I've gotten to know their people. Um, we still stay in touch. So um, yeah, it's, if, if you're looking for quality FRs, uh, check out Bulwark. And can you tell us who won though? So, I stumped you. No, you, got I got you got it. You got it. You got it. Perfect. So, our first winner is Frank. Frank Morgan, geologist at Devon Energy. Devon so Energy. Good stuff. Yeah. yeah. So congratulations, Frank. You're the first winner of this uh, Bulwark long sleeve uh, two-tone base layer. I hope you enjoy it. I tell you what would be cool is when you get it, take a pic of, picture of you wearing it and let us put it in the show notes. Yeah, that would be awesome. And you can find all of the show notes um, at tribrocket.com for this episode forward slash PW71. No, 72. Episode 72. All right, events on deck. We got to speed it up here. You can get Mark's monthly email by going to tryrocket.com forward slash events, and that will take you straight to where we get all of these events from. Next week, we're looking at the Leaders in Industry Luncheon. Hey, James, I think we skipped the URL. Did we tell us bulwark.com forward slash podcast? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, let's go back <laughs> at that. Bulwark.com forward slash podcast. It was a lot better when we recorded it, right? So yeah. bulwark.com forward slash podcast uh, to yeah. enter to win. And congrats again to Frank. Oh, my goodness. Oh, ch- getting choppy at the end. But tell us about the leaders in industry. So this is put on by TIPCO, which is the Texas Independent Producers and Royalty Owners Association. And, and this is always a great luncheon. It's at the Petroleum Club um, here in Houston at the Total Building. And you can have uh, Buddy Clark, the chair of the Energy Power Group with uh, Haynes & Boone LLP. So uh, if you want to network with true uh, oil and gas business leaders, this is the place to go. This is the place to go. So go check that out. And then we have the first Friday Q&A always to talk about. And we've gotten a couple of really great questions this week. I have to get back to, um, to those people. But um, we've got some, some really great questions. Where can they go to leave their questions, Mark? So you can go to a lot of places. You can go to tryrocket.com forward slash QA. Um, you can also, and James would just love this to death, Get your smartphone out, put your earbuds in, record your question with your audio note taker, whatever it is, whether you're uh, Apple, and it's, what's it, it's called a... Uh, Android. Called? No, 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 I know it's Android. What's, oh, it, called? Okay. what's, what's it called an Apple? Uh, the what's voice the, memo. The voice, voice memo. Voice memo, right? And if you have the same thing in, on Android, record a voice memo, may, email it or text it to James, and then we'll use it on the air. Um, anything that you want to know about the industry, any predictions in the future... Um, you know, if you want to know what's actually really going on between the Western Pennsylvania and Texas rivalry, <laughs> you know, reach out and let us know. We've, we've gotten some really, really good questions. And I get a lot of feedback from our audience on how much they enjoy these Q&A shows. So take a couple minutes, ask us a question. And if we uh, use it, we'll give you a shout out on the air. Yes. And one thing that we forgot I, last week, I said, hey, we got a review and I, I didn't read it. So let's jump into the reviews. News you want to hear from Kate LSU informative and engaging it's five stars informing informative and engaging great way to start the day mark and james offer an avenue to stay on top of the latest industry news and technology in a concise no-nonsense manner keep up the great work thank you kate thank you i hope to see you at lsu sometime 
because um, they have a great SPE group over there. Yep, and we're still talking about going to do a podcast in there. So, Kate, stay tuned. Stay tuned. All right, then we got RWL Trading, exception, exceptional industry background information. As a former equity research analyst in a different sector, the podcast has proven to be invaluable. The insights gained for both the domestic and international markets allowed me to rebalance, uh, allowed to rebalance me my personal portfolio and uh, overweight the industry. Mark's assessment of the industry in early 2016 has proven to be a perfect entry point and has allowed me to navigate some interesting market moves. You need some commission on this one, Mark. Overall, the uh, podcast is an easy listen that touches on nearly all facets of the industry that can be beneficial to industry veterans as well as those just gaining their first exposure to the sector. One of the few five-star ratings that I've offered, keep up the nice work, guys. Man, yeah, killing So, it. So just disclaimer here, we are not stock advisors. No, I, no. I, I tell you my opinion on stuff, but you know, please do your due diligence when you're doing your investing. Yes, definitely. All right, I'm going to skip the next one and go because I want to save the best for last. So we got Adil R., um, Great job. Five stars. I'm a young professional, recently graduated from the University of Houston with a degree in finance. Congratulations. And now I'm an investment banking analyst for a middle market firm here in Houston. I listen to the show to further develop my knowledge about the oil and gas industry and news. You guys are doing a great job of tackling different issues or subjects on the show. However, I'm curious about uh, current and future activity with independent producers. More specifically, it will be great if you can go over which basins and operators giving more focus towards and where you see activity five years from now, i.e. more future opportunities in the DJ Basin versus Permian. I'm well aware that this is a very broad request since there are so many different basins and shales with unique features of their own, but it would be great if you can provide a directional commentary on the subject. We're going to add that to the next First Friday Q&A right there, Mark. Yeah, no, add that because that's a good question. That is a great question. We will get you an answer on that. And this is hilarious, Mark. Um, uh, Thank you very much to Rostislav for leaving us this review. When he first left the review, it was three stars. So he must have woken up and realized he made a huge mistake in getting dropped it down to two stars. But it doesn't sound that uh, it sounds like he enjoys it. So, Greetings from my Steel Island floating at Green Canyon. 16 days into a 40-day hitch. I like to listen to somebody talking about something else when I climb into my rack after a 14-hour shift outside on deck. Best of luck with the podcast. Yeah, that's uh, it's, it's in the Gulf of Mexico. So um, he's not in another part of the world. He's right here in our backyard somewhere. That's fantastic. So yeah, I'm really glad that that we're able to even help people that are out there working shifts and and doing hitches. That's really exciting to hear. And if you want to leave a review of your own, just go to trybrocket.com forward slash tw reviews. It'll take you straight into the iTunes store where you can leave that review. And if you've made it this far and you enjoyed what you heard. Please share the show with your friends. You can do that by going to trybrocket.com forward slash share LI. We'll take you straight to LinkedIn to share it forward slash share TW to Twitter and forward slash share FB to Facebook. Oh my goodness, Mark. We are almost right there at 45. We timed it just right. Are you ready to go? Not yet. So I'm still looking for somebody to send a company-wide email saying you should listen to this <laughs> and then snap a picture so we can see it. If you do that and send me a picture, I'll send you something really cool. Okay. All right. Perfect. Do that. I'm yeah, I, I forgot about that. That is a great challenge. And I liked your, I liked your little added value added on that, which is just wait for your buddy to leave his desk and do it from his. Yeah. And I'm okay with that too. Wait, your buddy leaves his desk, send it from his email. So you won't get in trouble. Take a picture of it and I'll send you something really cool. Right. And in, in financial disclaimers, we add those, we'll just add an HR disclaimer. We are not responsible. <laughs> 
for for whatever happens in, with you and HR if you choose to take us up on that challenge. Um, so maybe maybe consider the size of the company. All right, Mark, let's go. We're going to get ourselves in trouble. All right, folks, do great work. Pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Go find some grease, guys. So if you want to leave a, uh, a review of your own, please, by all means, you can do that. How can they do it, Mark? Uh, if you want to leave a review, you go to uh, tryrocket.com forward slash. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, I, I, I will edit this out.